You're listening to On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball. Brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. Hello? Okay, we're going to try this again. Please hold. All right. You're listening to On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball. Brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. All right, after a little technical issue with the microphone, we are back for another episode of On the Vine, the podcast about Ivy League basketball, brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. Uh, welcome to the program. I'm Peter Andrews, and I'm joined by a robust panel, as always, of writers for IvyHoopsOnline.com. Really excited. Uh, no Mike Tony this week. Sorry to clarify, I'm not excited because there's no Mike Tony. Just two separate thoughts. Um, Mike is doing other things, and we'll look back uh, at this week as a low moment in the show's history, as we didn't have Mike on, and it was sad. But we have a great panel. Please welcome George Clark. Good evening. Thank you very much. Great to be with you again. Uh, Sam Tidings. Happy to be here, as always, once again. Rob Brown. Oh, hey, Peter. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. And Robert Crawford. Hey, Peter. Glad to be on, as usual. All right, we got a full panel. And why do we have a full panel? That's because the first uh, full weekend of Ivy League basketball uh, is in the books. Uh, every team played the full complement back-to-backs. Plus, Penn and, Penn and Princeton got a game in uh, on Tuesday. None of it went particularly well for the Quakers, but we'll get to that in a second. Sort of the game of the weekend, I think most people would uh, would say, was the Princeton-Harvard game, uh, which was on Saturday. Uh, Princeton notching its first win uh, at Leviades in quite some time, and they did it in very dramatic fashion, uh, winning late. Uh, I believe 59-56. Um, Princeton firmly control the Ivy League. They have not yet lost a league game. Uh, so let's start by, uh, George, what did you uh, talk us through that, that Princeton game? How were you feeling as it unfolded? Uh, early on, I was feeling quite uh, pleased that, that Princeton, after having really a tough time uh, the night before in Hanover, uh, was able to to stay focused and, and play a very, very tough defensive game. Uh, the offense gave them enough to uh, go into the, to the locker room at halftime with a six-point lead. Uh, it was a, a question of whether they were going to hang on uh, because everyone in the building understood that Harvard was going to make a run. Uh, and uh, after the lead got to double digits, uh, a pivotal play, there were pivotal plays, 
but uh, Princeton made a very, very bad turnover, enabling Chris Lewis to go coast to coast. Uh, and his dunk uh, brought, <laughs> literally brought the crowd to its feet. Uh, and uh, I was sitting in the Princeton crowd and everybody looked around and said, oh, here they come. And a few minutes later, an identical turnover resulted in the identical scenario. There goes Chris Lewis all by himself, and suddenly Will Gladson appeared behind him and uh, fouled him intentionally to prevent a dunk. Uh, he made uh, one of the two free throws, uh, and Harvard got the ball. But but I think the message that went out was, you're not going to run us out of this building. We're, we're here. We're going to be hanging around. Uh, Harvard came back, of course, got the lead. Princeton had to uh, uh, fight from behind in the last minute. They got the ball trailing by uh, uh, three with 15 seconds to go. Isolated Stevens on the left wing. He opted to go to the basket rather than take a, what would have been a game-tying three. He made a tough layup, got fouled. Then, of course, as you'll all recall, he missed the free throw, giving... Uh, Stephen Cook, an opportunity for a very, very difficult offensive rebound, which he put back up with 2.9 seconds to go. Princeton survived a pretty good look from Corey Johnson for a, for a three that would have ended the game, would have won the game for Harvard, and we got out of there with a win. It was an incredible night. And as I said online, uh, on my recap uh, on the site, Mitch Henderson was very emotional after the game, and he looked to me like a guy who would a death row inmate spared by a call from the governor's office right before midnight. It, it was just a thrilling, thrilling night. And then they followed it up wow. Tuesday. Uh, excuse me, Peter. Oh, no, no, no. Finish, what you, finish your thought, man. Well, then, uh, then we went to the palestra on Tuesday and had uh, – as easy a time as I as I could ever recall having in, in the palestra, uh, Princeton beat Penn, doing what everybody expected them to do from the start of the season, and that was make a lot of three pointers. They really hadn't done that very frequently in in the uh, run that they've had. They've won eight or nine straight, except for for uh, one night against Brown, they made a ton of threes. They didn't against Penn uh, the first time. They didn't against Yale. The big, the big uh, thread, the consistent thread for Princeton since the end of December has been just stellar defense, and that's been uh, led by Miles Stevens, who has emerged from Henry Caruso's shadow after Henry went down. Miles really stepped up. He's playing all Ivy caliber defense. The other night at the Plester, a fellow sitting next to me said uh, uh, that uh, Matt Howard looks like he's has never played basketball before when Miles Stevens is on him. So that was a, a cutting comment, but, but it was pretty accurate. Where it goes so from here, uh, of course, we don't know. Yeah, uh, obviously prison in very good shape right now. I, I Before we turn away from the Harvard game, I want to get uh, at least Robert Crawford's thoughts. Being on the other end of that one, very tough loss. Um, what should the Crimson, you know, was it a game the Crimson were always destined to lose, or did they kind of shoot themselves in the foot at the end? Well, I mean, it was it was a game that until about 10 minutes left in the first, in the second half, they, it was a game they were destined to lose. I mean, it was just Princeton was the better team for 
uh, a large majority of the game, and it seemed like um, they were going to be able to win that one easily. And then Harvard stormed back, and then it turned out that Harvard blew the game. It was kind of a crazy uh, scenario where it looked like Princeton was a definite bet to win, and then it looked like Harvard was a definite bet to win. So I wouldn't say that, that they were destined to lose all along, but I think that there's a lot of positives to pull away that they were even there at the end. That said, you hit a few more free throws, and it's an easy win. So they definitely shot themselves in the foot, but uh, it was good to prove that they could hang with one of the best teams in the league, and it definitely bodes well for later on in the season, especially in an Ivy tournament scenario, that they can hang with anyone. So are you are you happy with Harvard at 4-2 and two right now and in fourth place in the league? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think this is kind of where you'd expect them to be. Uh, but at the same time, you look at the games that they have lost, and they're they were both one one shot away from from winning both of them. But I, but they also snuck away with a win at Cornell. So it's it's one of those things where they haven't been able to play a full forty minutes in a lot of games, and they've had to come back in a lot of games, and they just haven't been able to complete every comeback. It's one of those things where if they just, uh, I feel like if they start better, they'll be able to. Uh, not have to worry about that. At four and two, top four teams make the tournament. I feel good about their chances to make the tournament, and uh, with a pretty even top top four, you know, there's a pretty big drop off after three, I guess you could say. But uh, with Princeton looking like they're going to get that one seed, um, I think Harvard's in fine position to get the two or the three. And, and at that point, it's not really it doesn't really matter which one you get as long as you're in the tournament. So Harvard. Probably okay with a split at home. Good showing against Princeton. Tough to cough it up at the end. Um, there has been definitely some separation this week. We there is a, a two-game uh, split between fourth and uh, fifth right now. Uh, Harvard and Columbia sort of tied in, in that third spot, and then it's two games down to Brown. The team that's really been struggling is is Penn. Uh, Penn somehow managed to get swept this weekend. They lose uh, to Dartmouth in the battle of the winless teams. Uh, they lose. Uh, at, at Harvard on uh, Friday night, um, and I'll get uh, Robert's perspective on that too. But uh, and then the loss against Princeton, which uh, George has sort of alluded to. So Rob Brown, let's start with you. Penn, what the heck happened to them? Yeah, uh, it's it's a schizo. I mean, there's some general season-long issues, and then there's some non-conference Ivy schizophrenia. Um, you know, they, they did really well against LaSalle. They beat them at home. Um, I mean, on the road, Broder had 35 points. Uh, they were looking strong going into the, the game against Harvard. And then the first 10 minutes were fantastic, I thought, uh, uh, you know, up in Boston. They, they really took it to them. But then, you know, the Ivy League pen uh, showed up. And, you know, turnovers, fouls, missed shots, um, that's just plagued them, and uh, they just could not hold on. Uh, it was a really disappointing loss on Friday. Um, heading into Dartmouth, really tough. I think the last three years in a row they've lost uh, going up there. And not only have they lost, but they, they've gotten um, unnerved each time. Dartmouth has really taken it to them. Uh, physically, uh, they've gotten in their heads, and they just you know fall apart. Um, I think um, in the beginning of the second half, uh, Dartmouth took a took a 12-point lead. Uh, Penn, you know, like they did in the first Princeton game, they, they did come back to their credit, but they just uh, couldn't hold on. Uh, Miles Wright, I think, uh, did a couple three-pointers. Uh, Dartmouth uh, did well from the outside. 
they did well rebounding. Um, you know, Penn just kind of uh, really fell apart again. Uh, Matt Howard, uh, kind of a, like like uh, the comment that that the person made to George. It, it wasn't just the the the, uh, the Princeton game. Matt Howard disappeared through the uh, through the Dartmouth game, and then Princeton. It was absolutely in the thirty plus years I've been watching the series. It was the one of the worst showings that I ever saw. They, these guys just got blown out. Uh, I think it was eight five Penn in the first break, uh, first time out, and then after that it was all Princeton. It was uh, another humbling loss. Poor, uh, poor three point shooting. Uh, Broder has been double teamed. He's been pushed around. Howard's disappeared. Uh, Steve Donahue still twenty the season figure out a starting lineup and he's just you know reflexively putting guys in in, in crazy substitution patterns nothing is working and at this point um, I don't really know even though they're still rated fairly high uh, I can't see them truly being favored in a contest except for the home matchup against Dartmouth let me ask, um, uh, in turn, sort of uh, George and Robert, your teams played against Penn this weekend. Um, what did you guys see as, as sort of scouting the opposition as, as what's wrong with Penn? Because I do think people are, uh, I'm certainly surprised, you know, I've been publicly skeptical of Penn since before the season. I thought they were ranked too high in the power pole. Um, they had some good results in non-conference, but, you know, I am sort of of the belief that Penn uh, gets more credit than it deserves because it's Penn and has a history, uh, because it has a coach that people like and, and want to do well and has success in the Ivy League that sort of outmatches what they've shown on the court. Um, so I'm, I'm curious as to what's happened here because I think, well, I uh, thought that they would not perform up to what people expected during uh, conference play. I think this is this is really uh, an outlier, uh, and to, to lose six straight uh, conference games is, is obviously very bad. Um, so, George, uh, what did you what did you see from Penn at the Pluster? Let me go back to the beginning of the season. Penn had a, a pretty good out of conference season, uh, as a lot of people expected them to, with, with Broder coming in. And if you recall last season, uh, it was a miracle that we beat them in the plaster. And then, then uh, uh, Darian Nelson Henry couldn't get a shot off at the end of the game uh, in Jadwin at the end of the season, or or they might have beaten Princeton uh, in Jadwin. So uh, with their out-of-conference performance uh, being much better than people expected, they came into Jadwin, and nobody was really sure what to expect. Uh, Princeton goes out to a 21-point lead. Penn came back uh, and had a couple of bad turnovers at the end, and Princeton hung on. But at, their performance left me believing that Penn was definitely going to be a big factor uh, in the Ivy League race, certainly the race for fourth place. Uh, and then a month later, uh, we, they're, they're just going in the opposite direction. Uh, this, uh, Robin, I've seen a lot of comment online about the substitution patterns that Steve Donahue appears to be trying to punch his way out of a paper bag and can't 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 seem to do it. Uh, we had we did not get much from Broder against us in either game, which was a big factor. Uh, I I can't really explain it uh, except the lid came off the basket for Princeton and the Palestra. Uh, to an extent that it, we hadn't experienced in a long time, and 
that, that was a big factor. Spencer Weiss is very hot, 26 the other night in Dartmouth, 22 uh, at the Palester with six threes. Anytime Princeton makes 14 threes, uh, you're going to have to do a lot to beat them, and Penn only made three. So uh, I'm not sure what's going on with Penn, but they're, they're, there's a real cause for alarm there. Uh, and, if, if, and look at this factor. Uh, Tuesday night, Stephen Cook, who has been as valuable a player on offense for Princeton as we've had all year, did not score. Did not score in the Palestra, and with a minute to go, Princeton had a 20-point lead. Uh, that's 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 something to, to my way of thinking. And Devin Kennedy yeah. didn't score against Harvard, yeah. and we got no points against from the center position Saturday night. We got nothing. We got some defense, but we only had four guys who scored against Harvard. Princeton's just getting a lot of things going going well for it right now, and uh, I'm glad to see it. That perhaps it's a it's a team of destiny. Uh, Robert, uh, what did you see in the Harvard Penn game on on Friday? Yeah, I mean, I'll just one. The main thing I noticed is just uh, a lot of guys trying to go one on one and make big plays to help Penn, and it and it didn't didn't turn out well. It was a game that Penn led in that for for much. Of, I think they were up they were up something. I'm I'm gonna not get the exact score right, but I think they were up like thirteen nothing to start the game or something ridiculous like that. So it was a game. It was a Penn's game to lose, but um, I was I heard a, a Penn a Penn staff member at the end of the game say not staff member but a, a someone working at the table said uh, you know Darnell Foreman learned his lesson tonight don't take Ziani Chambers one on one and it was a game there uh, I think Chambers had five steals and Foreman had four turnovers so I think it was just maybe it's Penn's young players still learning how to play against some of the Ivy League's better players I don't know I agree that they should should be better than zero and six but. I don't know exactly what the cure for Penn is. It's really hard because Darnell Foreman is really the only guy on a consistent basis who's willing to to kind of take it to the hoop, uh, to kind of show some energy, some passion. Uh, but he does have his shortcomings, uh, of course, as you kind of saw at the Harvard game. It's just really tough right now. Um, in some ways, Steve Donahue's honeymoon is kind of ended. Uh, he's now starting to fall into that same Jerome Allen pattern with, uh, except for Broder, you know, most of the recruits over the last, uh, this, his group hasn't really, uh, done much. Um, there's been very little player development and, and some of the, he brought in a couple of transfers to kind of speed up the process in order to get into the, to the IP tournament and recruiting. And both Matt McDonald and Caleb Woods have, uh, Wood has, have struggled. Um, so you're starting to see the beginnings of some Jerome Allen-like uh, situation again at Penn. Uh, that's certainly a, a yeah. I you know a lot of the times comparing something to Jerome Allen at Penn. Uh, you know, if you're talking about basketball, that's a good thing. But if you're talking about coaching, that coaching. is not where <laughs> that's not where Penn wanted to be uh, at this stage of, of the Donahue era. So the stage will shift this weekend. The Killer Peas are at home, and they'll be hosting uh, travel partners Columbia and Cornell, and I want to talk about that. Sam has been waiting very patiently uh, for a long time to talk about the light blue. Um, you know, lost the mythic fluffles that Columbia has very much taken care of business at home. Um, they have, with the exception of a, a loss to Cornell, they probably should not have had. 
Um, they finish out this five-game uh, homestand at, at three and two. They beat Brown and uh, what many people sort of targeted as the the biggest leverage game of the weekend um, on on Saturday night. And I thought they played very competitively. Uh, against Yale. If you look at the tie break, Columbia's third in the league right now, which is a pretty good spot for a team that um, I think some had some had written off uh, at an earlier stage. So let's get to talking about Columbia a little bit. Sam, you were there on Saturday night when uh, Lions ran up a huge lead and then sort of in classic fashion bumbled some of it away. What did you see at Levian on, uh, on Saturday? It was oddly similar to the game the previous Saturday against Harvard, where the first half, Columbia was just pretty much dominating on both ends of the floor. Uh, They were forcing a ton of turnovers. They were closing out on three-point shooters. Uh, They were getting any look they wanted offensively. They were up big again at the half. And uh, I was on press row along with uh, John Templin and Kevin Whitaker from NYC Buckets, and we spent pretty much the first 10 minutes of the second half just watching the Princeton-Harvard game on our laptops because the Columbia game was just so non-competitive. And all of a sudden, from about 11 minutes to about 6 minutes, the lead went from 19 to 6, just disturbingly quickly. And I was like, well, it wouldn't be a Columbia game unless it got uncomfortably close. (laughs) And... um, I, the biggest play of the game was in the second half where um, Columbia's zone had started to give up some threes. They were really trying to get back out on three-point shooters, and they missed a rotation. So Dartmouth had an open look, but instead passed it inside to Steven Spieth for a dunk, and Luke Petrasic came across the lane, blocked the dunk. Mike Smith went basically one-on-four against Brown defenders and found uh, Quentin Adlish as a trailer, hit him for a three-pointer. So instead of Brown cutting it to six, Columbia went back up 11. And Brown got within uh, four, three points in the final two minutes or so, but Columbia always had an answer, either by breaking the press or by hitting free throws when they really needed to. And in a game where the whistle was really not favorable to them, it was nice to see a group of mostly freshmen sort of hold the line down the stretch of the game. Well, and, uh, I run the risk of making the show sort of the Mike Smith Appreciation Hour, but if you watch Let's the clip it. of that play, the the way he, you know, gets the rebound and goes full on charging at the defense, you know, he doesn't end up getting a shot off, but you look at the way the defense is forced to react, they kind of push back, and uh, that's what frees up the space for Adlish to come as the trailer and hit the three there. Um, so a couple guys I want to ask you about the, their performances, one of which is, is what you saw from Smith, uh, another which is uh, Nate Hickman, who's been so Jekyll and Hyde for the Lions so far this season. And thirdly, uh, please give us an update on my, my son, Connor Voss. Um, I'm going to start with Hickman, actually, because he had a very productive game, but it was a very short appearance for him because he was called for a couple reach-in fouls and then just a really terrible over-the-back call where, like, we were all convinced that they had the wrong number, but they just never changed it. And so he was pretty much buried on the bench with foul trouble for, you know, most of the second half and came on to really help close it out in the final few minutes when, you know, even with someone has four fouls, you got to put him out there. So Hickman did impress me in one aspect of the game, and that was really facilitating well. Um, he had a lot of assists when he was on the floor, and he had a lot of hockey assists, too, which I know don't actually show up in the box score. But Brown was sort of trying to figure out what defense they could play, especially in the first half, to slow down Columbia because 
pretty much any look Columbia got, they were just running pick and roll against man, and they were passing around the outside to get open shots against the 2-3. And Hickman was a big part of that when he was on the floor. Um, Smith, of course, had another great game, especially the first half. I think he was like a plus 13 in like 10 minutes of play, which was impressive. And I don't know if he even had that many assists, but his performance was just sort of indicative of the good ball movement that Columbia had, even in the second half. Like in the Harvard game, when things start to slow down for Columbia, they get in trouble because Engels loves to run and they're used to playing at a fast pace in practice and when they're succeeding on the court. But when they struggle is when other teams are winding it down and taking shots late in the clock and forcing Columbia to play half-court offense. And it seems like it's always Mike Smith or Jake Killingsworth who gets to the rim and hits the shot to break Columbia out of those funks in the last three weeks or so. And then Voss, of course, um, Jeff Kobe had two fouls in like the first two minutes of the game. Um, Rodney Hunter went out early, only played two minutes on Saturday. Um, Meisner had two fouls in the first half. Petrasic had to play 37 minutes, which Engels was not happy about because he likes to try to keep everyone's minutes down, which is why he goes so deep. But Voss really came in and was a stabilizer. I think on like the second possession where he was in, he set a screen that knocked someone on the floor to free up Mike Smith for a jumper. He came in and he got four rebounds in the first five minutes he was on the floor and was sort of a stabilizing middle of the 2-3 when Brown started to get inside and get some layups and draw the fouls that knocked Kobe and Meisner out of the first half. Yeah, you know, I think with Voss, there was always the question of whether he was going to put it together, a guy with his size and um, someone who apparently, you know, I've sort of heard, great practice player who's often sort of struggled with the pace of, of the game, uh, did a really good job the other night. I would not want to try to run around a screen set by Connor Voss, and I'm like, I'm not a small guy. So, uh, yeah, him, him uh, and Petrasic were both knocking down players with impunity on screens. And I asked him after the game, like, did you have some sort of vendetta against Brown? Like, was there any reason you were setting harder screens than usual? And they were just like, no, we always do that. But, I mean, they don't. So I don't really know what the story was. Maybe they just saw an opening and went for it. Well, what is it What is it that Luke said uh, about the block post game? Because I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, that was great. Um, the first question for Luke after the game was, like, talk us through the lead-up to that block. And he was sort of like, well, we usually trap the corners, and I was anticipating the next rotation. And then he goes, I don't know why he tried to dunk on me. And everyone in the room just started laughing. <laughs> and I I don't know if anyone really thinks of Luke as, you know, a rim protector on the scale of, like, what, you know, Tyson Chandler or someone like that is in the NBA. But he seemed like extremely offended that someone dared to enter the paint against him and put up a shot. Well, it's good to see Columbia having a little bit of that, that, that attitude now and then. And, you know, they've, they've had some success with their, with their size recently. So that's the, that's the weekend for Columbia. They also Friday night, uh, cause I want to get to sort of the Yale Cornell side of things. Um, Friday night, uh, Columbia kept it pretty close against Yale in the first half. They were actually leading at halftime. And then, you know, Yale, very good, just very good team, a lot of scoring, and they were able to pull out the win. Um, but for Columbia, I think a split is kind of what you're aiming for. Yale had the weirdest weekend of anyone as they then went up to Cornell, um, got like 30 seconds of the game, and then the power went out, uh, necessitating a replay on, um, or I guess picking up from where they left off on, on Sunday. Um, Rob, did, I know you are a Cornell uh 
follower to an extent. Did you catch any of, of the Cornell-Yale game? Yeah, I, I missed the, the first minute and a half on Saturday, but was able to catch Sunday's game. Uh, it was a really good game, I thought. You know, there were there were tons of lead changes, ties. Um, really, um, no team had gone up by more than three or four points through most of the game. And uh, at the end... Uh, yeah, was able to separate itself, uh, but but really within the last few minutes, uh, it ended up seven points. But it was really you know a three point game throughout. Um, you know, uh, Stone Gettings was was phenomenal. Uh, Twenty eight points, eight rebounds uh, from Cornell's uh, side. Uh, Matt Morgan eleven points, but was never really in the flow of things. It was really more of a game of Gettings and Warren. Uh, I think Warren may have had twelve points uh, as well. Uh, so it was a real more front court oriented game for Cornell, uh, and, and they did a good job. Uh, uh, you know, just to take issue a little bit earlier, one of your comments, I, I kind of think that Cornell really did earn that that win at Columbia a couple weeks ago. I think they they did a good job limiting their turnovers in the second half, uh, hit their free throws. Uh, you know, I think that, I think they did a really nice surprise this year with uh, with a new coach and a totally different style with no recruits of his own. Um, you know, they gave Harvard everything they could handle a couple weeks ago. They played Yale down to the wire. They beat Dartmouth. Uh, they challenged one game against Columbia, won the other. Um, I don't know what will happen in the homecoming game for Brian Earl um, on Friday night, but you know they, they, they've done well when they've had to uh, and uh, very impressed. But for Yale, Oni and Bruner were, were fantastic. They, these guys have ice water in their veins. They, they they are certainly playing above first year level. They they are great. Yale's such a, a phenomenal for me, I think it's a great team to watch. They're really disciplined. They they don't foul. They know who they are. Everyone's got a role to play. Um, in some ways they're they're out of conference. They were a big three point shooting team, which they haven't been in conference, and they've been able to, to, to survive and thrive with that. So it's always impressive to see them in action. Um, so yeah, that's that's my take on Sunday. <laughs> I think we've made it pretty much around the horn, so let's uh, let's look ahead um, to this weekend's action. So the excitement, as I kind of mentioned, we got the the Killer P's playing host to the Killer C's. Um, uh, more variance in the in the P's uh, to pretty good teams in the C's. Um, let's. I want to talk about sort of what the expectations should be for each team this weekend, and uh, you know, I have someone representing each of these teams, so we'll, we can go through it in order. Um, George, what do you uh, you know? Is anything Princeton has a bit of a cushion right now, um, but is anything less than a home sweep of uh, Columbia Cornell acceptable at Jadwin? No, it's not, but it could very likely... Uh, re- uh, a Columbia win at Jadwin would not be a huge surprise to me, given the way they played uh, recently, uh, and given the fact that they've played very well at Jadwin over the last few years. Uh, I would be... More surprised if, if Cornell were to, to beat Princeton tomorrow night, although I expect that with the way they're playing, they're certainly they're going to do everything they can to, to try to make uh, Brian Earl's homecoming uh, a sweet return. And I'm frankly looking forward to, to being there uh, just to welcome Brian Earl uh, back to Jadwin, where he will be a hero forever. Uh, and he's going to do well at, at, at Cornell, uh, when he, certainly when he gets his 
his own players uh, in there, but uh, they have played some very, very good games at home and, and that nice win at, at Columbia. So you can't really take anything for granted at this point. I would be shocked if Cordell were to beat the Tigers tomorrow night, but not at all shocked if uh, if Columbia has two good games this weekend on the road. Um, Rob, what's so you have both uh, Penn and Cornell keeping an eye on. Penn probably needs a sweep to get back into the race. In fact, I would say they almost certainly need a sweep to get back into the race. Um, do you agree with that? And then what, what do you think Cornell's aiming for? Oh, absolutely agree. They they have to get a sweep uh, to even be considered for that fourth spot. Um, but realistically, given how the last couple weeks have gone, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's hard to you know if they can just get one win, that would be pretty amazing. Uh, but I I have my doubts right now, given given the uh, the problems. It's not not just one little issue that just needs to be rectified. There's so many things and. Uh, you know, Columbia is going to make things hard for Penn. They just are. I know. I know Columbia doesn't have the greatest success down in Philly. I think last year may have been the exception, but I think they just have too many weapons, and the the, the pace won't be good for Penn. The offensive rebounding of Columbia won't be good for Penn. Uh, there's just too many difficulties, and I think. Um, I think Cornell is going to give Penn a, a lot of trouble also, especially because they're going to have one extra day of rest. I think they play Sunday afternoon because uh, the game's on the American Sports Network. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for Penn just baby step one win, but I would not be shocked if they go 0 for 2. Sam, Columbia in the driver's seat a little bit if you're looking at that fourth spot. I mean, they're I, I'm going to keep saying it because it might not last very long. They're actually in third. They're ahead of Harvard right now, based on the tiebreaker. Um, uh, what is it that, um, you know, I think winning at the Blester has always been historically a bit of a challenge for Columbia, although last year, um, if I remember correctly, Rosenberg scored like 500 points in that game. Um, and then Jadwin is one of the toughest places in the league, if not the entire country, to play basketball. Um, again, is a split enough? What What is, uh, if, if they get swept, what is the reaction? What what How do you see this weekend? I think a split is good enough. I know I spoke to Engels yesterday, and he was nervous just because it's their first back-to-back road weekend of the year. And obviously you can tell the effects of people going on the from Ithaca to Columbia back-to-back with how poorly that both Harvard and Brown started the last two Saturday nights. And he's not really sure, I think, just because they haven't done it yet, what all the players are going to be like on Saturday, win or lose Friday night having played a back-to-back, having not slept in their own bed, having eaten unfamiliar food. And that's something that kind of concerned him going into the weekend. I think a split is good enough for Columbia. Um, I would, I'm a little worried they're going to get swept just because Penn needs it so badly. And they're at home, and it's hard to win there. I mean, I've been to a lot of Columbia-Penn games at the Palestra where Columbia was the better team and found a way to lose. And I I don't really think the Princeton-Columbia game is going to be close. Uh, I know George is afraid of an upset, but the way that Princeton shoots the three and the way that Columbia's 2-3 has been giving up three-point opportunities and makes in Ivy play so far, it's hard to see Columbia's offense coming up with a combination to stop that role unless they really switch up their defense or find a way to limit three-point looks in the 2-3. Robert, I realize it's a little bit unfair to give you the entire 
job of previewing Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Brown, but I know that you're capable of it. I know you're capable of it. What do you, uh, and it's for our listeners, you know, sometimes the panel just sorts out a certain way. Not much we could do about it. Um, what is it that you, you know, walk me through what you think the, the sort of key storylines are for, for the, uh, the northern uh, quarter of the league this weekend? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, I guess I'll start on Friday night with Harvard Brown. Uh, Peter, you said that winning at the Pleasure has always been hard for Columbia. Well, as strange as it sounds, winning at the Pits has always been hard for Harvard. They've gone to OT two of the last three years, even in games that shouldn't have been close. So that's a game that I'm going to be interested in looking at because Brown loves to force turnovers. And if Harvard you know, falls into that trap, they could be upset prone. At the same time, Brown gives up a high percentage shooting. So if Harvard can just hold on to the ball, they should that they should be able to win that one. Uh, Dartmouth-Yale, um, I don't think that'll be much of a game, honestly. I think Yale's going to be able to cruise to that win. Uh, the next night, I mean, Dartmouth-Brown, I think that's a big game for Dartmouth. Chance to, chance to get a split two straight weekends could be big for them. And for Brown, I mean, they probably need to split maybe i mean they they can't go 0 two if they want to stay in that fourth spot contention so that'll be a big game for both teams uh who are Dartmouth's probably out of it but if brown wants to stay in it they're going to need that one and then uh, kind of the big game of the weekend for harvard obviously against yale at yale on saturday night and um you know that's the thing i'm really looking forward to that game is seeing Mieoni play against siani chambers and bryce and I, I said I said after the Princeton game, you know, no matter really what happens during the game, when Siani Chambers and Bryce Aiken kind of decide to score, they seem to always come through. When they kind of decide to lead their team back, they always seem to hit the big shot. So, and, and Oni's been the same way for Yale. So I'm really looking forward to that matchup on Saturday night. It's going to be a tough one for Harvard on the road against a really good Yale team, but um, I think it's going to be a great matchup. And if, if Harvard can at least get that win versus Brown, they should be in in good shape for the for the tournament because but that's going to be I think that's going to be a really tough game for Harvard I think they might be looking ahead at Friday night game uh, versus Brown so I think if they can if they can hold serve versus Brown um, anything could happen Saturday night but that's where I stand on See, this weekend. I knew I knew you could do it thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're getting near we're getting near the end of the show and I I like to end with this because it's it's a good chance to sort of get some some uh, last-minute thoughts floating. I'm going to ask everyone on the panel um, uh, about one either storyline or player or issue that uh, you that we have not talked about so far on the show that you think will be sort of critical to the next uh, to the next couple days. Um, uh, because you know, this one of the tricky things at this time of the year is it's just there's a lot of games and they kind of come fast and furious. And it's tough to keep track of. Um, where they come from. And the other thing is, uh, I think you see guys step up. You see um, the Ivy League, because of the back-to-backs, really tests depth in a way that you do not always see. Um, you know, I think you look as far as Columbia this weekend, or even the way Princeton destroyed uh, Penn without using their best scorer. Um, there's there's a lot of things that, 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 that go into these back-to-back weekends. So now that I've filibustered for long enough to help you guys think of something to say, um, I'll sort of go around the circle. Uh, let me start by asking Rob uh, Brown uh, if you have, have any thoughts on this. Uh, let's see. Um, other than Donald Trump tweeting out the uh, the, the the Penn basketball team and uh, challenging them to to get better, I don't know. Um, I, I'm really hoping that Matt Howard uh, for Penn 
gets back into his groove and 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 makes himself more of a presence. Uh, I also hope that that somebody Ryan Bentley uh, really takes charge as as the shooting guard. I really really love to see Penn, um, you know, at least split if not sweep this weekend. It would really do a lot for the team. It would do a lot for the fan base for the message board. Um, that that would be a really you know big situation for them. Sam, what do you have? Uh, two things. One is Columbia's freshman. I'm thinking Smith, Killingsworth, Adlish, um, Rodney Hunter. I don't know if he's hurt or what the deal is with him, but if he plays, what? how are they going to do with their first road back-to-back in two of the toughest places in the Ivy League to win a game? Can they come up with a split? Are they going to melt down? Are they going to find some fifth gear and somehow come up with a sweep. I think they're going to have to lead the way. Cause I think you can pretty much expect, you know, something from Petrasic and Hickman, but they need contributions from the young guys to put it over the top. And then my other thought is the one thing that worries me about Princeton is that with this midweek game, by the end of the Columbia game, they'll have played five games in eight or nine days, I think. So just, is fatigue going to affect them at all? I know they're at home, so it's not as bad as it could be, but just with that weird midweek during the school year, pen half of the slate, um, it's going to be a little bit more of a test of their depth as well. Rob Crawford? I mean, my my one thought is what does Zena Dosmon have to do to get in the game in a big rebounding situation or a big situation at all, for that matter? I mean, you played... I mean, we can look at, obviously, the last play of the Princeton game where he's not in the game and Stephen Cook gets an offensive rebound to, to win the game, but hindsight's twenty twenty, so I won't focus on that moment too much, but I think Dosmon only played 10 minutes on um, on Saturday night, and it was a lot due to foul trouble. He had four fouls for a lot of the game, but I think he's going to have to play more minutes and he's going to have to play impactful minutes if Harv is going to be successful for this weekend, for, you know, for the rest of the season. And, and this weekend, I think Chris Lewis has done a great job on offense, but he, he's kind of had an issue with rebounding a little bit when he's come over for help defense. Sometimes he struggles to get back to get that rebound. And, and Harvard has been a team that's really struggled with offensive rebounds against. So I'm going to be interested to see if that can improve, and I think that can improve by playing Zen and Dosum one more. And uh, George, what do you got? For me, the big the curiosity factor centers on Pete Miller, the senior center, who has started uh, virtually every game for the last three years. He started against Dartmouth Friday, uh, got an early foul. Henderson brought him out of the game. He did start the second half, but he only played about six or seven minutes the entire night. The next night at Harvard, he started early or got an early foul, was taken out of the game and did not return at all. Uh, I noted that uh, for the first time that I can ever remember, the team that started the game for, for Princeton did not start the second half. The same five guys did not start the second half. That's always been the way Mitch Henderson has done it. He did not do that at Harvard on Saturday night, and he did not do it in the palestra. He started uh, uh, Miller again. He went out and did not return. So something's going on there. Mitch Henderson is just not happy with the way Pete Miller's playing. He's obviously never been an offensive threat, uh, but he plays tough defense, and he's got five fouls to give. 
But uh, for some for some reason, Henderson is not using him. Uh, and I'm just curious to see if he's going to start tomorrow night. Actually, with the with the few minutes that he's playing, Princeton is not uh, playing uh, three of the starters that they had at the beginning of the year. So this this winning streak has been quite remarkable, uh, considering their personnel, the depth. Uh, it shows their depth. Uh, that's for sure. Somebody somebody different steps up almost every night. That's a great sign. I'm not too too worried about the fatigue factor uh, because they're 19, 20 year old kids. Yeah, that's true. I I remember fondly the days when I was nineteen or twenty years old. <laughs> well, you're lucky because ago. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's as good a note to. Well, and I think there's there's at least one person on this call who has never quite has never experienced it. So uh, we got a good we got we got a good diversity <laughs> here on 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 the vine. Um. Uh, all right. I think we'll wrap it up on that. I uh, it's been a good show, and I think really good basketball on tap this weekend. Delicious Harvard Yale game. We got some good some good action at the at the middle of the the pack. Uh, also, Dartmouth will play. Um. Uh, by the way, if anyone is listening to this uh, and you have some affiliation with Dartmouth and like like talking about Dartmouth basketball, please, like, for the love of God, come on this program. We never have anyone from Dartmouth. It's like not an intentional slight. I just don't know anyone. Uh, so if you're out there, tweet at us or send Mike an email or do whatever. This has been a public service announcement. We'll wrap it up on that note. I'd like to thank the panel for uh, a very enlightening conversation. As always, uh, you know, it's cool to – I'm 3,000 miles away, but I feel like I've been in the gym all weekend because uh, these guys were. And so uh get to hear it directly from them, and we look forward to continuing to do that. So when uh, – I'd like to thank Robert Crawford. Thank you, Peter. Always love being on. And Sam Tidings. When can we look for your interview with uh, Coach Engels to come online? I'm probably going to write it up either late tonight or tomorrow morning, so it'll hopefully be online before Columbia tips off at the Palestra tomorrow. Well, make sure you read that on ivyhoopsonline.com. Thanks for coming on the show, Sam. Of course. Thank you for having me again. Uh, Rob Brown, who does uh, wears two hats on this show. Thanks for coming on and, and talking about the the teams. My pleasure. Thanks, and a belated happy 90th birthday to the Palestra, the greatest uh, venue for college basketball in the country. See, I thought you were about to say that about about George, and I thought that was incredibly mean. There's no way. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> yes, a happy birthday to the Palestra indeed. And thank you to George Clark for both being on the show and for putting up with the fact that I make fun of him a lot for being old. But, uh, it, you know, he takes it a good sport, and that's what matters. So, George, thanks for coming on the show. You're most welcome. I enjoy hearing all of you gentlemen. I'm looking forward to, to getting back together next week. And that we will. On the Vine will return probably the same time. Probably, well, definitely the same place here on Mixler. Um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, and uh, enjoy the basketball this weekend. I've been Peter Andrews saying so long. <laughs>